Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Monday, August 9th, and this next hour, we have the joy of studying the inspired and true Word of God, and we are back in the New Testament, which is reality. We still wear our Christ goggles when we are in the New Testament, because especially today, we are in the book of Hebrews. I am so excited to be here, because when we go from the Old Testament, 1st, 2nd Kings, some Psalms, some Nehemiah, or all of Nehemiah, excuse me, that we go through all of that, what an easy transition to get to Hebrews. The writer connects it all together that we may see the great high priest. And I find myself so excited today because I love going back to Hebrews. We have a wonderful guest. We have a wonderful time and we're able to see our wonderful Lord who has done everything for us in Christ. So we get to say again, the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy, we have the honor, and the privilege of having Dr. John Kleinig, Professor Emeritus of Australian Lutheran College in Adelaide, South Australia. He is the author of one of my favorite books, Grace Upon Grace, and we are especially blessed today as he is the author of the Concordia Commentary on Hebrews. Dr. Kleinig, welcome to Thy Strong Word. It's a great joy to be with you. The honor is is also here, Dr. Kleinig, and this is our first time on Thy Strong Word together. So can you introduce yourself and, uh, I don't know, your family, uh, your work, whatever it might be you want that would help our guests um, understand this Australian for us this morning? Um, I'm about to be 79 years old. Actually, tomorrow is my birthday. Hey, happy and, birthday. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I <laughs> shall enjoy that. Um, yes, I'm a pastor and I'm retired now, but my wife says that I'm as busy as ever, but I do what I want to do rather than what I have to do. Uh, and that's a great joy. Um, I have, uh, uh, I and my wife have four children. They're all in Adelaide and, uh, we have the great privilege of being close to them and seeing a lot of them. Most of my time, in recent years has been spent in writing um, that since my formal retirement um, if I can just give one plug uh, there's a mm -hmm. new book of mine that's just come out this last week on Lexham Press called Wonderfully Made it's a theology of the body so that's enough about me <laughs> Very good. I tell you what, one of the great joys I had is a couple of years ago, Dr. Kleinig and I were, were staying with, an, uh, you know, another professor, another great writer, as you say that, Dr. Harold Sinkbile, and we're hanging out in his apartment, and I'm just drilling you with questions for hours. I must have just wore you out because you're already dealing with the, what, 12, 13-hour difference, and I'm asking you all these questions just like a little kid in a candy store. So, And you were gracious, and you were wonderful, you and your ride and it was a, such a joy so that is why it's so good to hear your voice again and a joy to have you as we study god's word this morning well what i should say it's morning here what is it there it must be evening is that how this it, works uh, it is it is no it's morning here uh it's evening oh, it's, in your part of the world i think uh, it's 
right. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah. We're, we're, sorry. We're, yes, it will be uh, morning <laughs> in, when you broadcast. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So as we do this, it is a, is a joy. And Pastor uh, Dr. Kleine, can you begin our time in prayer and ask our Lord's blessings? Yes, thank you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us in many and various ways through the prophets of the Old Testament, but in these last days through your Son. We thank you that he speaks to us now as we gather in worship in the divine service through your word. And we pray that as we study the book of Hebrews, your word will speak to us and speak words of salvation and uh, the gifts that we receive uh, as your children and heirs. So bless us. Give us your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Kleinig, I want to start this way because you have a, a lot of information of the basic themes and message and background of Hebrews. So I want to start with the basic uh, message that we see from chapter one and also the beginning of chapter two, verse one, because as you say in your commentary and also your notes, that this summarizes a whole book beautifully. So I want to start there, and then we can come back around with the basic themes. So it starts in Hebrews chapter 1, and I'll read the first four verses, and then chapter 2, the first verse. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as a name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And in chapter 2, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. This is our, our text today, uh, Dr. Kleinig. And so let's go back to the kind of the who, what, where, whens of the book of Hebrews, starting here. What is the purpose of the, 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 the Hebrew uh, book of Hebrews? Well, it's a written sermon, um, and it's uh, written by an unnamed pastor to an unnamed uh, congregation, probably a Jewish Christian congregation, um, most likely in Rome. But there's so much we don't know. That's about all that we do know for certainty. So it's a, a, a sermon that a pastor writes in his absence to his congregation. It's He calls it a wor word of encouragement to his people, um, his people who are being persecuted and who need the assurance, the encouragement that what they have as Christians is so valuable that they must not forfeit it under any circumstances. So this letter is really a written sermon that's meant to be read to the congregation in place of the usual Sunday sermon. Mm -hmm. And as far as we can see, there are three basic texts that were probably set to be read on that Sunday. Um, 
uh, there's probably a connection between this congregation and uh, the Jewish synagogue, which also had three basic readings. There's a text from the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses. It's the story of Melchizedek and Abraham in Genesis 14. Then the second reading is the prophecy of the New Covenant from Jeremiah 31. And then the third reading, which is very important, is Psalm 110, with the promise uh, of God's enthronement of his Messiah at his right hand, and more importantly even than that, the appointment of him as the eternal high priest. So it's a sermon. Those are the three basic texts. As in any good sermon, there's reference and even quotation of many other biblical passages, something like 18 other passages. And the focus in this sermon, as we've uh, already noted from what was uh, read, is on um, getting the congregation to listen to God's voice. Not just as he spoke many, you know, uh, through the prophets many years ago or in Jesus a long time ago, but uh, focus on listening to the voice of God here and now as he speaks to the congregation in the divine service. And there's a deliberate stance here of the writer who makes it clear that he doesn't want people to listen to him, but he wants them to listen to the voice of God as God addresses them. In the divine service, he says God speaks the message of salvation to them. So in what we already read, um, he says we must pay. Notice it's the we. He doesn't stand apart from his people, but he puts himself under the word and says we, you know, that includes me, me and you, must pay closer attention to what we have heard, uh, the perfect there indicates that we um, continue to hear it, lest we drift away from it. So it's a call to keep on listening to the voice of God. And then in the climax of the sermon, um, he says that it's in the divine service that God speaks to them from heaven to earth. Um, so in chapter 12, verse 26, he says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And the him here is the voice of Jesus, who speaks to them, and through speaking to them, delivers his gifts to them in the divine service. Now, as I hear this, what I'm hearing you say this is a very relevant book for our world today, at least in America, where we, this is almost a prayer that I want to have now when I preach or when I read um, Hebrews, is that people will listen lest they drift away. Because I feel like so many times that we have so many people that drift away, whether it's from confirmation on whether it's when they're older, even when after you baptize a child, you always just feel like people drift away. But it appears kind of that the that there, there's persecution for this author who he is writing to, and he's dealing with similar issues, not the same issues, but similar issues of people drifting away from the faith. Is that something we are able to say? 
Yes, and that's what interests me. One of the things that interests me about the uh, this sermon, uh, because one of the things that I have uh, experienced in my 53 years as a pastor is that so many of the people that I've ministered to seem to have fallen away. Not so much fallen away. It's not a rank apostasy, but they've just drifted away from um, the church and drifted away from Jesus without realising what they've lost. Um, uh, maybe they never realised what they had in the first place. And so this letter, I reckon, is very valuable because it shows us, it not only warns us against drifting away, but shows us what we will lose here and now if we've drifted away. Not just what we will lose for eternity, but already here now in time. Ah, so that's a great segue, Dr. Kleinig, to the, because we can talk about what is still yet to come, which is a very clear Christian um, point, a Christian theological point that we always need to make. There's always hope because we know what is still yet to come. But yes. Hebrews seems to be more about what we have now. So what is the main theme? I and mean, this is a good segue to the main theme of Hebrews. How would you describe that? Well, the focus in Hebrews as compared to other parts of the New Testament is not on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago by his life, death, and resurrection. But the focus is on the present work of Jesus as our eternal high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. The focus is on him as Christ. Christ means the anointed high priest, the one who now stands between God and us and ministers to us in the divine service. So the focus is if you like, in the terms of the creed, uh, Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who's enthroned at the right hand of the Father, but then who um, ministers to us uh, here and now in the present time. So um, there's a number of emphases in this that I would like to uh, briefly touch on that uh, you'll be able to explore at greater length as you go through this wonderful sermon. First of all, the focus is on Jesus as our high priest. Um, uh, and that's mentioned 11 times at all in the letter. As our high priest, he is our mediator before God. He is the mediator of a new covenant. Um, in which we receive our heavenly inheritance and the blessings of our heavenly inheritance. Not only receiving it when we die and at the resurrection, but already now we benefit and enter into our heavenly inheritance. He is, says the writer of the Hebrews, our liturgist, the hmm. minister of holy things in the holy places. So, he, if you like, is the leader of our worship. He ministers to us uh, and he delivers the holy things of God to us from heaven to earth. Did you want to say something? I did want to say something. I, I, I had this vision in a bulletin that we write, um, you know, uh, this is a service. This is the divine service setting for. This is the eighth Sunday of Pentecost. And our liturgist this morning is Jesus himself. I just had this yes. vision in my mind. 
bulletin. <laughs> that's kind of a funny vision. Well, that's not just funny. It's absolutely right. He's the, he's the preacher. He's the host. He is the one who is the, uh, um, uh, the focus and center of things. And you won't understand the liturgy or the architecture of our churches or anything that happens in the divine service unless you see that the focus is on him as the liturgist, as the high priest. Now, as our high priest, he does a number of things, if I can just summarize that. First of all, he now appears before God the Father on our behalf, um, bridging between God and us and us and God. He intercedes with God the Father on our behalf. He makes atonement for the sins of all people before God and reconciles them with him. Um, he's made atonement, now he reconciles with them by offering the forgiveness of sins. He cleanses the conscience of every person, every Christian baptized person with his blood so that they can serve the living God. I'll have more to say about that later on. Mm -hmm. And very, very importantly is here and now he consecrates us the whole congregation as his priests with his body and blood that he gives to us in Holy Communion. The focus is basically, that's the central focus. He consecrates us with his blood. The priests in the Old Testament were consecrated by having the blood of the sacrifices sprinkled on their bodies. Jesus doesn't just sprinkle our bodies with his blood, but he gives us his blood uh, to drink in Holy Communion. So he sprinkles our conscience. He sprinkles us with his blood to make us holy priests. And then most wonderfully, he presents us to God the Father and he says, here am I with the children you've given me, my brothers, my sisters, my fellow priests, holy before God presenting us to God. And that means, and this is part of the main theme of Hebrews, if Jesus is our high priest, then we, and by we I mean every single Christian, from a baby who's newly born and baptised to the most erudite theologian in the world, um, we all have the same priestly status. And we all have the same uh, calling, the same vocation as members of the church, a priestly vocation. Um, if I can touch on this, we are, says Hebrews, holy brothers of Jesus, the high priest. He is our older brother. He's our high priest. And we are brothers together with him. And we with him um form a priestly brotherhood, a priestly fraternity. To change the picture, we are God's house, uh, his holy house, his household and his temple. So the temple where God meets with people. Um, we are his household, his temple. And most wonderfully, we are partners with Jesus the Christ, the anointed high priest. 
Now, partners means that we work together with him. It means that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. Uh, all the gifts, but then all the tasks too. So we work together with Jesus as holy priests. Um, Jesus has the status as high priest, so our status is that we are not just priests together with Jesus, but we are high priests together with Jesus. Uh, we are saints, holy people, who are sanctified by Jesus and share in God's holiness. It's not just something that we work towards that will be in heaven, uh, but it's uh, uh, something that we already have now. We already now share in God's holiness, and uh, we are as holy as Jesus is holy. All of us are saints. About, uh, uh, what's it now, 11 years ago, uh, there was a woman by the name of Mary MacKillop who was canonised by the Roman Catholic Church, and she is regarded as the first and only saint in Australia. Now, she is a saint, I have no doubt about that, but she's not the first saint and she's not the only saint. Uh, we are, all of us, uh, saints together with Jesus. And because we are holy, because we are priests together with Jesus and share in his holiness, we go where Jesus is. We can uh, have access to the most holy heavenly sanctuary. We have access to heaven already now here on earth. And we can approach God the Father together with Jesus, through Jesus. And we can offer our sacrifices of praise and our offerings of gifts to God the Father through him. So, by grace, as a gift, we serve God the Father together with Jesus as our liturgist, as our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, that is just simply so wonderful that every time I think of it, every time I speak about it, my heart is filled with joy at the great privilege, which is ours. So just to kind of <laughs> to gather myself a little bit, like you're saying, this is full of joy, but I am so full of so much that I, it's hard to kind of put it all together as what you just said, because we usually put it into very simple just like simple terms, like I'm a child of God or I'm forgiven. But you really broke it down to the point where, one, you show us Jesus. He's our mediator. He's our liturgist, our preacher. Like you said, he's a host. He appears before God the Father, intercedes and so forth. There's a few things that are hard to understand. Number one, that he's continually praying for us. He yeah. says that very clearly in chapter seven. Can you just very quickly explain that to me because that one's one of the eye-opening ones I always have and I'm always brought to my knees every time I hear it because I can't believe it. So can you explain that to me or to us? Yes. One of the tasks of the high priest in the Old Testament was that he carried the names of the 12 tribes of Israel into God's presence to intercede for them when he offered incense to God. Jesus carries us into the presence of God. He intercedes for us not just by what he uh, says, but also by 
bringing us together with him. You can see that most simply in the Lord's Prayer. The remarkable thing about the Lord's Prayer is that it is the prayer of Jesus. Strictly speaking, no one can pray the Lord's Prayer except Jesus. He's the only Son of God. He's the only one who can address God as Father. But he identifies with us and prays to God on our behalf so that we can join with him in his prayer to God the Father. So there you have it most simply. He prays for us night and day. What's he doing now all the time? Praying for us. Um, uh, before I ever prayed, he was praying for me. And he invites all of us to join together in praying together with him in praying to God the Father. That's why we end our prayers with through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, we approach God together with Jesus in him through him. Um, that lies at the heart of our worship. Now, the next question I have with that is <laughs> to be considered a high priest as Jesus is the high priest, because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings of what it means. You know, everyone, a minister type of language. Yes. And we speak that way, you know, that God has called us to be a priest. He, you know, each person in the sanctuary, as you said, in the divine service. What does it mean? And maybe maybe this is too simplistic of a question, but what does it what does it look like to say I'm a priest or I tell my congregation you're a priest? I tell my kids you're a priest. What does that even mean? How would they put that into their minds about what that looks like? Well, you'd have to read the whole uh, of the letter to the Hebrews. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, that's trying to open it up just a little bit. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, but the most important thing is not to see, uh, think of it in terms of an individual. You know, I am a, you know, a lone ranger, priest. That's me. Mm. But it's it's congregational. We've, uh, together with Jesus, we are in a community of priests. And together, we um, uh, do two simple things. Uh, if I can put it in simplest terms, what does Jesus do as our high priest? He brings us to God the Father so that we receive all the blessings that God the Father gives to us. And then secondly, um, Jesus, who appears before God the Father on our behalf, then brings God the Father to us. So there's a two-way street, if you like, a two-way a movement. Uh, we then, in worship and in prayer, not just worship in church, but family worship, our devotions, we um, bring others to God so that we, in turn, in our daily lives and in our whole Christian vocation, bring God and his blessings to other people. Um, that's it in its simplest terms. It's a two-way uh, movement. We bring uh, people to God together with us and Jesus, and we bring Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and all the blessings of the triune God to every person that we meet every day of our lives. 
As we look at this, Dr. Kleinig, it is a we have to now take our break. But after our break, I want to get to because we're we're going to be in a, a long process. We have you know all the chapters of Hebrews. I want to talk a little more about the keys to studying the book of Hebrews as you would see it as you've done your studies. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying he, the book of Hebrews with Dr. John Kleinig, and we will be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying the book of Hebrews, chapter one, and with Dr. John Kleinig from Australia. And Dr. Kleinig, you have you have laid out so much uh, rich uh, understanding of what our Lord gives to us, starting with what our Lord is. And this gets us excited to begin this journey of studying each and every chapter of Hebrews. And as you said, it's a sermon. So it's almost like uh, I was thinking about this when you when you said, well, you'll have to read the whole uh, a book to your children or whoever you want to do this sermon with. And I was thinking maybe when I go home today, I'll sit the kids down. My kids are 15 down to 11 now. And I'll just sit them down and say, OK, kids, here we go. Here's a sermon. I'll just read all of Hebrews to them. What do you, you think that will work? No, it won't work. <laughs> Uh, it'll, it, it will put them off forever and they'll never want to go back again because it is such a rich meal. It's a smorgasbord of riches. Mm, uh, absolutely. It's, it's, there's so much here to take in that we can't take it in here all at once. Um, as I see it, uh, this is not just one sermon, but um, this preacher, whoever he is, is summarizing hundreds of sermons that he preached to his congregation and he reminds them them of all the riches that he's been unpacking for them over many years maybe um and uh that's the only way that i've been able to uh uh um swallow if you like and digest and appreciate hebrews is to take in a bit at a time the big picture as a whole and that's important. And then each uh, um, uh, course in this smorgasbord. So as we look at the, as we begin this journey, which is going to be an exciting journey, I'm already really excited. As you said, when you realize how much our Lord gives, it just brings so much joy to our hearts. And so as we go through this, and there's so much to unpack, what are some key um, key principles for us to to remember as we study the book of Hebrews? Well, uh, the most important key, um, besides the focus on Jesus as high priest, that's one picture, if you like, you need to have in before you all the time. But that won't make sense unless you see that um, you, we have here a contrast between the divine service that was held every day, morning and evening, at the tabernacle, 
first of all, and then at the temple in Jerusalem, and then the divine service in the church, um, our Sunday service, if you like. And it's not a contrast of opposition. It doesn't say uh, uh, this was uh, something um, uh, that uh, was not important and was illusionary, but the contrast, there's a movement from uh, what is lesser to what is greater. So um, the in the service at the tabernacle, people had restricted access to God's presence on earth. There was a physical access to his presence. You know, they came to the tabernacle, to the temple, and there they had limited access. And that was symbolized by the fact that they could only approach the altar, but they couldn't come into the holy place, let alone the holy of holies, let alone um, access to heaven. So there's a contrast between the restricted physical access of God's people to him, um, to the complete, total, full access of the whole person with uh, a true heart and a clear conscience to God's presence uh, here on earth. So we have access to heaven here on earth. So the move is from temporal, eternal, earthly things to eternal, heavenly things. Simply the move from heaven, I mean, from earth to heaven without leaving earth. So the focus here is on the tabernacle. Uh, and the imagery, you need to keep the picture of the tabernacle before you um, if you're going to make sense of the letter. And what the writer does is uses the tabernacle and the furnishings of the tabernacle, what happened at the tabernacle, to give us a vision of the interaction um, of the risen Lord Jesus with us in the divine service. So you've got to think in terms of pictures rather than ideas. Mm -hmm. um, so, and there's, there's three pictures that I always have in mind as I listen to uh, and read this letter. The first is the arrangement of the tabernacle with its furniture. Um, Hebrews reminds us that uh, Exodus tells us that the tabernacle and its furniture were a copy and shadow of heavenly things. They were meant to reflect heavenly realities for people on earth. Um, uh, the arrangement of the tabernacle was in three parts that formed a way, a holy way, the holy way by which God came from heaven to meet with his people on earth, and the holy way by which God's people um, met him uh, so that they could approach him here on earth. So uh, you have the three parts of the tabernacle. There's the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the two-layered curtain. Now, I think for the picture of chapter 10, you need to see that the curtain wasn't just a single curtain, but formed a way, a two-layered curtain, um, uh, that the high priest would pass through on the Day of Atonement. So the Holy of Holies is the place where God is enthroned in utter darkness here on earth. It's the place of God's presence. Then in front of that comes the holy place with the incense altar, the lampstand, 
the table for the bread of presence. This is the place of intercession, mediation, um, the place where the high priest or the priest on duty would meet with God and God would meet with them. But the most important part of the uh, tabernacle, which we can overlook because of this dramatic symbolism, is in fact the altar for burnt offering in the courtyard. Um, that's the place where God meets with his people and his people meet with God. Um, and this happens every morning, every evening in the daily service. So the first picture is the tabernacle. The second picture is the daily service, which was held each morning and evening. And there were um, two basic uh, parts to it. Um, apart from all the incidental details, the first was that after the uh, sacrifices had been prepared, the priest would enter, the priest on duty would enter the holy place to burn incense on the altar of incense before God in an act of intercession to gain God's grace and favour for his people. And then he'd come out and he would uh, burn the uh, meat, the body of uh, the parts of the uh, lamb for burnt offering and together with the grain offering and the drink offering on the altar to atone for sin um, to cleanse people from sin and for God to meet with his people to sanctify them and blessing. So the sacrifice was a two-way bridge by which God came to his people and the people came to God to uh, receive his blessing. This, that service culminated in the ironic benediction. The people came into God's presence to present uh, their prayers to God but then to receive blessing from God. So that's the second picture that you, uh, I have as I read Hebrews. The third picture is the service on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. Um, this was a very dramatic day, and it's the only day in which the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He would pass through that two-layered curtain um, to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, on the ark, and on the floor of the most holy place. He would atone for the sins of the people um, uh, by bringing the blood of the sin offerings into the Holy of Holies, and then using that blood to, to sanctify and cleanse uh, the incense altar, the uh, lampstand and the table for the showbread. Then he'd come out and he'd sprinkle blood on the um, uh, outside furnishings. So the point of it was to cleanse the sanctuary, the priesthood and people once a year from the impurity of sin. Uh, now, uh, the important thing to realize is that um, each of us, because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus and our conscience has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, uh, can go where no one ever went, not even the high priest on the Day of Atonement. We can enter heaven itself uh, with the blood of Jesus 
to receive heavenly blessings for us and other people here on earth. That's the basic picture, the three basic pictures um, that I always have in mind. Reminder to our listeners that if you have a Lutheran study Bible, to get a picture, and, and as Dr. Kleinig described so well, to get a picture of the tabernacle and to get a glimpse of exactly what he's talking about, you go to page 139, which is in the section of Exodus 25, where it shows a picture on page 139 of the Lutheran Study Bible of the tabernacle, the curtain that he's speaking of, the multi-layered curtain, the Holy of Holies, the holy place, the place where they would have the focus on worship, and so forth. It's a beautiful picture that now I feel like I need to print this off, put it up in my office whenever I read Hebrews. So I get that picture because not only of the tabernacle. So Dr. Klein, just to rehash this, you have the three pictures that are very helpful. And this is very helpful for me. And I think of my own kids and the generations, my generation, I think, and younger are very visual. You know, we grew up with movies. We grew up with a lot more visual things. Kids today are even more visual, I would argue, with all the technology. So what a great plan is to come up with this visual of what does the tabernacle look like? What was the worship and what was the Day of Atonement looking like? And then that is a great filter as we go through this whole book. Is that, is that, is that what you're telling us today? Absolutely, absolutely. To, get, to have those, that, that picture in your mind so that you can get a vision of um, a far greater reality, what it is that actually happens every Sunday in the divine service. A vision, and not an explanation. Um, it's way beyond anything we can wrap our minds around, but we can get a glimpse of uh, with our um, enlightened imagination. So as we hear this, the... One word that you brought up a number of times and you said, I want to bring it up later. So I want to find out if now is later. You talk about um, a clear conscience or to cleanse a conscience. Is that where you want to go now or is that coming later? Um, I'll touch on it. We'll see how we go. Um, But I'd like to speak about, you know, what is the basic message of Hebrews, which we're touching on. And and that will... um, uh, uh, well, part of that is the importance of the conscience and the clear conscience. Gotcha. But if I All could right, just, just just give it an embryo. Um, uh, what God gave to his people in the Old Testament was partial cleansing from impurity and partial participation in his holiness. Um, but what uh, is needed for us to have access to heaven on earth is that we become totally clean and pure, not just outwardly clean and pure and holy, but that we are totally clean, that from the inside out. And uh, so the focus in Hebrews and in the New Testament is on our conscience, our heart, and the cleansing of our heart, our conscience, uh, so that we are totally clean and holy in God's sight so that we can enjoy heavenly blessings um, for our life on earth so that we can live as in God's presence and share in the holiness and purity of Jesus. 
So now is a good time, as you say that, to get to the basic message of Hebrews. We've touched on it a little bit, but how would you describe the basic message? Well, the basic message of Hebrews um, is uh, that it wants to uh, give us a vision of what God um, offers to us, what God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit offers to us in the divine service. If you think in terms of Sunday, what is it that we enjoy every Sunday? And uh, it, he does this from uh, four different points of view. At least that's all we'll have time for. First of all, he does it by warning us that we will lose out on the four most wonderful gifts that we have as Christians who have been baptized. Uh, we'll lose out on our enlightenment. Notice that picture of enlightenment, vision again, uh, having our eyes open so that we see and have a vision of heavenly things uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, secondly, there's a danger of us losing the gift of heavenly food. Um, the heavenly food is the body and blood of Jesus. Um, uh, and that all focuses on the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us by Jesus. Uh, we lose the um, goodness, the good food, the nourishment of God's good word, and we lose our participation, our um, uh, reception of the powers of the age to come, so that we already now are empowered um, by the gifts, the powers that will be belong to heaven for our life here on earth. That's one way of uh, seeing what it's about, if you like, uh, the danger of us losing this. But now um, let's put it in positive terms. Um, in chapter 6, verse 9, the writer talks about the better things that belong to our salvation. Now, when he talks about better things, he says there's good things. There's good things that the people of God had in the Old Testament. But we have far better things um, uh, here uh, in the divine service. Um, so let me just take you through the better things that we enjoy uh, as uh, holy people. Uh, God gives us a better provision for uh, us as faithful people, something better than even the greatest people, the people of faith in the Old Testament ever had. Now, what's that better thing? We have hope of, a, of better access to God. They had limited access to God. We have unrestricted access to God in the divine service. And we have a better covenant, um, the covenant of the body and blood of Jesus in Holy Communion, which is based on heavenly, better heavenly promises, uh, promises of a heavenly inheritance. Not just blessings for life on earth, which was given to God's people in the Old Testament, but heavenly blessings here on earth. And here we come to the question of conscience. We have been purified, not just physically, but the whole of us, our conscience, by the better sacrifices that Jesus has offered for us. 
And because we've been purified by better con uh, um, uh, sacrifices, we already now have a better possession, a heavenly possession. Not just the land of Israel uh, as our possession or um, uh, our home and our property here on earth, but we have a heavenly possession. We have a better heavenly homeland than America or Australia. The greatest thing of all, the two greatest things, is that we have a better resurrection than the uh, resuscitations of people in the Old Testament. There were some people who were raised from the dead, but they would die again. We have the better resurrection to eternal life. And best of all, and here we touch on the matter of conscience, we have the blood of Jesus in the divine service. The blood of Jesus that we drink that is sprinkled on our hearts and consciences that speaks a better word of purification and sanctification than the blood of Abel ever spoke. It's, it speaks to us the words of forgiveness. If you think of Holy Communion, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for release, remission of sins. That blood speaks purity and holiness to us. Um, that's the best of all. And then thirdly, uh, we have the use of heavenly gifts and benefits here on earth. Um, there are a number of things that we have as gifts of God already now. So we have Jesus as our heavenly high priest who uh, makes worship possible for us. We have strong encouragement from the promise and hope of entry into heaven itself uh, as a life-giving anchor for our souls. There's a whole lot of pictures there uh, that we have the hope of entry um, uh, into the place where Jesus has gone, the place that he has prepared for us in the presence of his heavenly Father. We have uh, confident, free-speaking access to the heavenly sanctuary. We have the lasting possession of a better reward. And most interestingly, we have a crowd of unseen witnesses, people who are invisible all around us every time we assemble for worship, uh, a crowd of witnesses, all the communion saints that surround us. Um, but all that focuses on the fact that we have God's grace. That's our possession. God gives us his grace, um, and we, by the grace of God, have access to heavenly food, from a heavenly altar. So, Dr. Uh, Kleinig, as you talk, can I, yeah. can I ask, just kind of to summarize this, this is where it gets very rich and very, it's kind of like eating that real rich food that your stomach just can't handle all in one time. Yes. Because what you're telling me, the basic message is, all of these things that you just mentioned are what we receive. That's not only uh, we receive it, but it is better. A lot of times we think in the Old Testament, like, wow, you know, they were with God and they saw God and there's God with the plumb line, you know, with uh, um, Amos and there's God here and God there. But you're saying we have even better access 
than they did. Is that is that what you're getting at when we do the worship? Right. And, and our- it, it's not only better access, but we have access to better things. Um, uh, it's not as if they didn't have anything that's good. They had very great blessings. But compared to what they have had, uh, we are millionaires and they are paupers. Um, <laughs> we are rich beyond our wildest dreams, rich with heavenly blessings. And not just heavenly blessings in the life to come, but already now, every Sunday in the divine service. Now, Dr. Kleinig, we have about four minutes left total. So would you like to get to that point at the, in your notes, you have this question. How would you sum up the theology of worship in Hebrews? Because I think that connects very well with what you've been telling us. This is what we receive now. Not something we'll have to wait for, but it's right now. Is that how you want to end our time in that last question? Yes, just one final picture, which will lead to that uh, uh, final question. First of all, um, uh, where do we go every Sunday when we go to Holy Communion? This is what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, 22 to 24. It is one of my favourite passages. It is my favourite passage in Hebrews, and it is one of my favourite passages in the whole New Testament. The writer of the Hebrews says, But you have Come, you have drawn near to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the church, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood for sprinkling that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Those seven invisible gifts. We come to heaven here on earth. We stand together with the whole uh, church around the world. We stand together with the angels. We stand in the presence of God the judge who forgives us. We stand together with the uh, saints who've gone before us, but most importantly, we stand before Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and his blood that he gives to us and sprinkles on our hearts and consciences to make us clean and holy. Well, then finally, um, that's a sort of a summary of the theology of worship in Hebrews. Yeah. Now, how would I summarize the theology of worship in Hebrews? Well, um, I'll take you away from the tabernacle to almost every Lutheran church building that I know. What is the message of your typical Lutheran church? It's... Uh, uh, architecture, its arrangement. Well, the message of every church is that we have access to God in heaven through faith here on earth. There are two parts to, to every Lutheran church that I know. There's the nave, the part where people sit, and there's the sanctuary. The nave represents earth, the sanctuary or the chancel represents heaven. 
Notice here, what does the building tell us? That we have access to heaven here on earth. Without leaving earth, we enter heaven. The focus of the church building is the altar, the throne of grace, where the meeting point between heaven and earth. And the most important feature of every Lutheran church is the open aisle, the central aisle, the open way into God's holy presence. The only hmm. thing that stands, um, if you like, along that open way is the font. And that's very important because it's through the font that we are cleansed of sin and made holy so that we can come to the altar and receive the body and blood of Jesus. And having received the body and blood of Jesus, which makes us clean and holy, makes us holy priests, we are sent out into the world as priests to, to work together with God bringing people and their needs to God in prayer and bringing God and his blessings to them in our station and vocation. Now, does that mean my time's up? That means your time is up, unfortunately, for our time today. Dr. John Kleinig, Professor Emeritus at Australian Lutheran College in Adelaide, South Australia, giving us God's strong word as we start off on the right foot in the book of Hebrews. Dr. Kleinig, it is an honor and thank you for being our guest. It's a great joy and a great privilege. God bless you all. Saints, saints of our Lord, it's a visual. The, the writer gives us a visual of the gifts of heaven that are still yet to come. But he says, you don't have to wait. It is right here. It is right now. You can see it in your own Lutheran church. You can see it as you look at the tabernacle. You can see it as they had the daily services. And you can see it in the Day of Atonement. But most of all, you can see it today. Our Lord gives his gifts. He is our high priest. And he comes to you by the blood of Christ to give you a clear conscience. What a joy. What what a, what a, what a what grace it is for us. I'm your host, Brady Fenner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.